1: about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm welcoming Emily Thoreau Treat. Emily's the author of Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. Having gone through the experience of two husbands dying, as well as the deaths of her father, mother, sister, many family members and friends, Emily has much experience in the grieving process and has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. Her mission is to comfort and support those dealing with grief and loss, focusing on positivity. She earned a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing, which led her to her career teaching writing at the university level. So she naturally turned to writing to deal with her grief. She also is teaching those dealing with loss how to use writing to deal with their grief. When she's not writing, you can find her in her garden creating art and walking on the beach. Welcome, Emily. Aloha. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Aloha. Um, You're... uh, I, I've I've had homesick sickness for Hawaii in this oh, pandemic time because I, <laughs> I my honeymoon happened there in my my second um, marriage. Uh, I took there to we went there to heal my daughter after a traumatic school experience. We, you know, it's been a big place for us, so it's nice to think of of you over there in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's it's been a really
2: good place to be for the pandemic because it, it's so peaceful and, and beautiful and
1: it's such a loving place. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So let's, let's dive right in. Um, you've had a tremendous amount of experience with grief. And one thing that really stood out in your book, um, which I resonate with so much, is how, um, how we keep evolving in relationship to grief. Um, that the experience we have one time is not the same as we have the next time. And there, I don't believe it goes in a straight line necessarily, but I do believe I, for instance, have so much more resiliency around loss than I had earlier in my life um, from navigating it, you know, from experience, I guess. And it seems that maybe that's true of you. So can you talk a bit about kind of the, evolution of your relationship to mourning and um we'll start there okay
2: uh it has changed for me i like how you described it and is it not being a straight line and it's not being predictable really no matter how much experience you've had with grief then next grief it's going to be different than the one before sure so it it uh it does change quite a bit and Depending on how close you were to the person and the circumstances of the death, it's going to be very different. For instance, if you have a, an elderly parent or grandparent who has been had a good life and they're they're dealing with some painful issues, and it just is wonderful them to have the opportunity to go on that feels a lot different. It's, it's It can be almost a sense of relief. While, while missing the person, you're grateful that they don't have to be in pain anymore. But if you're with someone like, in the case of both of my husbands, where right up until the last, we were able to have wonderful, heartfelt conversations and, and we're very close to each other. And that <clears throat> allowed me to, or what happened was I missed them terribly. When they left, um, it it just, as much as I knew it was coming, it just didn't seem real until it happened. Mm. Mm. And uh, I had kind of a d- different belief system from one husband to the next, and ron, who who most recently passed, um, taught me to really live in the moment. And that's what we did together. and our our time together was so valuable. So, after the, the initial, uh, when, whenever someone goes, you're going to have an initial period of being kind of blank, kind of alone, uh, often very sad, often very teary, not being able to hear what other people say to you or to make decisions for yourself. And that, that can last longer depending on what kind of support system you have. But I was, uh, after Ron died, was that way for a while. But then I started remembering how wonderful it was to live in the moment as we had always talked about. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, in this moment, I'm living in a beautiful place. The people around me love me. I am happy to be here. I'm happy for all the time that we got to spend together and how wonderful it was. And that that made it so that I could face things differently once I was able to get focused on living in the moment instead of uh, drowning in the
1: grief. You know, that, that's really resonant for me because in my circumstance, we knew that my wife was gonna die for, well, it took a year and a half to get diagnosed. So of the decade she was sick, eight and a half years, mm. uh, she was always expected to die any minute and nobody could figure out why she wasn't dying basically wow along the line we did get very present like if you if this thing that's supposed to happen that's horrible keeps not happening there really is nowhere to live but where you are uh you know that's right (laughs) it's a real lesson in how unpredictable the future is right (laughs) i mean i can't tell you how many you know, times Stephen and Le- Andrea Levine sent us money to come to a workshop because she was about to die, and then she didn't. You know, it was on and on and on. So I really resonate with that quite a bit. And it sounds as if your experience the first time was was uh, that you lingered longer in that initial, which I think is maybe unavoidable. That initial sort of, um, you know, intense experience of loss um, would that be fair to say absolutely it was it it did last longer and
2: I just had a different frame of mind because I had we had been married for 22 years um, we did so much together and to not have him there it was was hard and I knew a ton of people we we were, prominent in the community and had done so many things. We, we couldn't leave the house without running into people to talk to that we knew for for any purpose. We, we'd run into people, either former students of ours or people who'd enjoyed us in theater productions that they'd seen uh, or been in organizations we'd been in. They, people were just all over the place and they came out amazingly for his celebration of life. There were so many people there and after the people left after that celebration nobody was there anymore mm. so I that was, was pretty I was
1: really surprised that, that was that for in your situation that was kind of a drop off then yeah it it mm. was i would call it a drop off it
2: was it was kind of shocking to me because i, I knew lots of people and i just thought why why am I not being included and at the same time I didn't really have the strength to reach out and say oh, I want to go to a movie you know can right. I go get a cup of coffee can we do that's something? just way
1: beyond what you have in you huh oh yeah yeah I couldn't,
2: I couldn't do it and, and the longer I was sitting by myself the the harder it got and Fortunately, the the university where I had taught before I left to start my theater and school of arts, it called me and said, you know, we'd really like to have you back because I I had ended up donating my whole big business of the theater, school of arts, uh, cafe, art gallery to a nonprofit organization because I wanted to spend time with Jacques, my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was spending so much time either at his hospital bedside or taking care of him when he was home, and I just couldn't do that and run a business at the same time. And fortunately, this this nonprofit accepted the whole thing and and said that they would take good care of it. And that gave me a lot of relief, but it also pulled me away from a lot of people because that meant for two years, with the exception of going to the doctor's office, we weren't really seeing anybody. One thing that happens when people get sick and, and start having problems, I, Jacques kind of started off with being in the hospital. When you initially are in the hospital, boy, the friends come out in droves and flowers, cards, all that sort of thing. But the longer you're sick the fewer people you see
1: you know that did not happen in our circumstance oh you're so lucky and I, I only can and it was a long time right yeah. um, I can only explain it this way um, my first wife was a tremendous force and she was determined that I would get to be her partner and I wouldn't have to be alone in taking care of her body and we also had kids and that young kids, so, so that she just pretty much expected people to show up and they did, and they kept doing it year after year. I was, it was a big adjustment for me cause I was kind of a take care of myself type of person. And so I want to put the message out there. Um, you can't wear people out unless they don't pay attention to themselves Actually, people got happier and happier taking care of us because we got more and more grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, they couldn't wait to bring us dinner because they liked the thank you and they liked being with us, right? So um, it can go another way, but it takes, it would never have gone that way if it had been me that was sick. I I feel sure it wouldn't have gone that way. It was something about her, but I learned a lot from it.
2: Yeah, I I can see that happening, and I kind of thought it was going to be that way. It was really kind of that way when uh, everything happened with Ron. I I couldn't believe the help and support that came out, and I hardly knew anybody in in Hawaii. (laughs) He he had lived here a long time before I did, and he or not before I did, before I met him. And when it got to the point where he realized that uh, this was going to be it for him, he said he really wanted to move here. And I understood that. And we just sold our home and moved over here. And we were here for two years. And in that two years, he was in and out of the hospital a lot. But we made some of the deepest, closest friends I've had in my life. I know all my neighbors. We walk in and out of each other's houses. You know, if you need anything, somebody else has it. Mm -hmm. And we're always there to help each other. and, And the situation was so different. So it wasn't so much about quantity of people who knew us or we were acquainted with, but quality of these wonderful relationships that we developed here. So here, uh-huh. everything was just great. Like the, the first Christmas we were here, we, we moved here in August. And the first Christmas we were here, um, he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, right up until I think it was the, the day before Christmas Eve, the 23rd that he got released from the hospital, and we really didn't think he was coming home from the hospital. And people could see that he was having that sort of an issue. So before we went to the hospital, which was an emergency, it always was. And so nobody knew an emergency was coming right then. Some of our new friends um, that we didn't know that well got together to come Christmas carol for him. They, they just uh, I knew it was coming, so I was able to have you know hot chocolate and cookies and everything ready for them <laughs> when they got here. But when they they came to the door, he was so touched, and those people were so close to us. It it was just amazing, and we had essentially just met them. And, and another time, I had been taking a uh, exercise dance class in evenings, and there was somebody who could always come over and be with him on on the night that I did that, and it was my my one exercise thing I was getting to do for myself and I, I missed a couple of weeks because he was in the hospital and somehow they found out and I didn't know these people I just signed up for the class and went to take a class um that somebody somehow they had found out that he was in the hospital and the next time when I came back to class they had this gigantic basket full of things for us all kinds of things like soup and magazines and cookies and things that uh for my husband it wasn't a gift for me it was a gift
1: for my husband
2: since he was in the hospital and it just blew me away
1: (laughs) those, those things just stick to you forever don't they oh yeah i i had an acquaintance who i liked very much but we hardly knew each other and after my wife died, she sent me a check for $500. That's a lot of money for someone you don't know very well. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the card said, if this can allow you to take just a little more time off, please do. Wow. And I've never, I've thanked her, of course, since, but it, it doesn't ever wear out. That mm-hmm. feeling that I felt when I received that card and that, and that check, and it wasn't about the money so much as that thought, you know, let me help you take more time. Uh, Really, really blessed. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it's
2: it's it's wonderful. And the the thing that it did for me was really have me realize when when I was starting to come out of my fog, I need to do something for other people, I want to help them feel the love I've been feeling through this process.
1: And And that leads us to your book. Um, Mm -hmm. Just before the break, can you read that one little paragraph? Because it kind of captures that sense of now wanting to help. Okay, I had that up. And then... Would you like me to read it? Because yeah, if, if you could, <laughs> that would be great. So, I, know. I did have You're, it up, but then I had the challenge No, I know and- <laughs> that's what happens. I know what this poignant moment of loss feels like from my own personal experiences of losing many loved ones and dealing with other kinds of losses over the years. Uh, I just want to comment, thank you for, getting, for including all losses in your book, not mm-hmm. just death because that's really important to me too these experiences have led me to becoming a guide for others who need support on their journey as they start to live again and become open to loving and living again Uh, yes and you know that that is sort of uh i feel that in a way um early on with my wife is when i wasn't living Mm mm-hmm uh, in my grief, I felt incredibly alive, but that was due to practice, uh, accepting my discomfort, accepting my negative internal experiences. It's helped me a lot in the pandemic, too, to be honest. Yes. Um, you know, the ability to just say, oh, this is what's happening. How do I need to respond? <laughs> what do I need here? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a break, and we'll come back to that after the break. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Emily Thoreau, and her, Thoreau Treat and her book, you can go to Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief.com. Be back soon.
0: Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This
1: is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Emily Throw Treat about her book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. And um, Emily, I was was thinking over the break that uh, some of the things that just seemed so excruciating uh, at the time, I'm now incredibly grateful for. And you have a section, uh, I'll give an example in a second. You have a section of your book about cultivating that sense of gratitude that's really hard to do right at the start, for sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, although not, it wasn't hard for me. I was in, but I was in practice, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I had been doing that for a while. But um, I do think that's so helpful: cultivating joy, cultivating gratitude. As long as, I guess I would say, as long as it isn't a way to try to get out of how painful it is. Yes. Would you I agree? agree yes. They're <laughs> kind of kind of neck neck and neck. For instance, the ten years of illness with my wife. i I mean, honestly, of course, that was not wonderful, right? Yes. Absolutely and yet, not. <laughs> on one hand, but on the other hand, it gave us so much time to learn, to grow, to face off with death to prepare you can't be prepared but you can prepare for sure and um and I just really felt ready when she died in a way that any earlier I don't think that I really would have Um, Yes. do you do you agree with that I mean is that part of your looking back process sometimes I I, yeah I do agree with that you you um it's
2: it's well, I don't know how to say this. Good to have some time to know that it's coming, um, as opposed to a situation where it's sudden death and and it's shocking. That's then you're dealing with shock on top of dealing with just the the death.
1: Mm. Yes, my father died very suddenly um, several years after, and um, the only way that. I did better than I, me and my kids and, you know, close family did better with that than my brother or my mother really in some ways because of practice, because every day practicing, relating to all that stuff. I wasn't scared, you know. Yes. <laughs> I did some things that were, I, I was very intent on just showing up to say goodbye to him even though he was unconscious, you know. So, um, if that had happened first, I think it would have just slapped me around a whole bunch more.
2: Yes, yeah, I, I think so. It's it's amazing how how really different e- each experience is going to be for you. Uh, it. For for my my dad just died suddenly. My, my mom called me one evening and said they just took daddy to the hospital. And I said, well, we'll get in the car and be there as soon as we can. And we lived an hour away. And before we got in the car, she called back and she said, it's too late. He's gone. Hmm. And that was, it was such a shock that we were more dealing with shock than actually dealing with death at that point. Yes. where, where yes. the rest of the most of all the other deaths that I've dealt with have been ones that, that were a while coming and and you get to get more in touch with your feelings and in touch with being sure that you say everything that you want to say that nothing's left unsaid and that alone gives a lot of comfort.
1: Yes, I have to say as a grief counselor, though, even though it can be seen coming. You know when my my clients tell me what happened i'm like oh it was at least months and months and months that this was coming right but people do resist that and then it can feel as if it's a sudden death even though it wasn't yes have you encountered that oh yeah
2: that that is because With Ron, he was so with it until about a day before he actually died. He was on on hospice and at, at that point was dealing with renal failure and he just kind of zoned out. But up until that moment, he was Ron. He was absolutely him. We had lots of people come to to see him. Come over from the mainland to spend time with him, and people that were here. It was like a party at our house for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and <laughs> I that's, that's what you're he was talking
1: about. <laughs> yeah, he,
2: he was he was happy. You know, he was upbeat. Mm-hmm. He was so thrilled to see his friends. He Facetimed with everybody he wanted to be sure to say goodbye to. And so it made it really hard to to actually register that in the very near future he wasn't going to be there to talk to anymore
1: you know something stood out about him too that um, his particular way of thinking about living in the moment Mm -hmm. uh, meant he didn't really want to talk about memories that's right uh, and all that which for me reliving memories or uh, you know letting memory come and letting it leave is a big part of being present for me Mm-hmm. Right. It's a big part of living in the now for me. <laughs> and um, it was kind of, to me, a little bit of a downside for you uh, to not have that chance to kind of uh, relive some things together, talk about their meaning and the scope of your life, all those things that you do if that's an open subject.
2: That's right. It, that was kind of a challenge because we had been together 10 years. Uh, There was a lot I didn't know about him. And he had uh, recently, within two years of when he actually passed, reconnected with his son that they had had a falling out a long time before. And they finally, Ron always was receptive to getting back together, but it took his son a while before he could. So once he did, he wanted to know everything about his dad's life, because he Mm -hmm. he was having a, a, a son himself, and he wanted to be able to tell his son about his dad. And there were so many things he didn't know. And when Ron would tell me stories and tell me things about his past, I didn't write them down at the moment, because I thought, oh, you know, we can talk about this more another time. So they began to talk about things, but didn't really get to have that time the, to, to really fully uh, recognize each other for who they were and what they'd become. And that was really hard. I, I sat down and tried to remember after Ron died, I tried to remember all the things that he told me. And of course, I couldn't remember all the things that he told me. And <laughs> it was not. so hard that I couldn't ask him a question because just a couple of days ago, I could have asked him that question if I would have been thinking about <laughs> Amen. it. Amen. You know?
1: Amen to that. Amen to that. And there's something about, um, you know I don't I think you probably agree with this that when someone dies your your relationship with them doesn't end absolutely Uh, you know I'm still in relationship with my both my parents some bunch of friends who've died of course my first wife very different relationship but it's still relationship and I feel as if those experiences are a bit a bit of a touchstone yes Yes. Uh, not for not to go back in the past, but to actually feel the connection now. Yes. Do you feel yeah. that way as
2: well? I do. I do, and and I see that different people have have different capacities to deal with that. And that's why with uh, with the writing through griefs that, that I do with people, sometimes they're just really focused on writing their memories so they won't forget them. They've got to get those down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then other people don't want to focus there. They want to focus on, okay,
1: what do I do now? Where yes. am I now? And we could agree, whatever whatever you feel compelled to do is probably right. <laughs> That's right. That's what I Always important. You
2: know, it's, it's their show. You know, exactly. I always encourage them to do what, what they
1: need to, to do for themselves. Exactly. Would you like to share a little more from the book? I can read it or you can? Uh, I, the,
2: I think I'll oh, wait a second. Maybe. Well, I may have found it. Um, just a second. Okay, no, that's not it. Uh, maybe, we'll go maybe and, yeah, go ahead and share uh, it. I'm so t- sorry. You no,
1: know, we won't leave the blank. I'll just go ahead and read it. The best laid plans, huh? Uh, yes. <laughs> this book is an expression of the journey of starting the process of feeling alive again by taking steps to open a new gateway to new living and loving. I wrote this book to encourage you to embrace the process of learning how to start living again and welcoming sustained moments of joy while knowing that you are loved and supported. I am here for you and the whole tribe of others around the world who find themselves in a place of sorrow, a place that no one asks for or wants to be. By approaching this process with an open heart and open arms, we can all learn, love, share, and be the best that we can be. My goal with this book is to meet you where you are and support you on your journey, knowing that everything can only get better from here reading the stories in this book and doing the practices that most resonate for you will enable you to be supported as you actively seek a new way of being in the world and that really is what it is it's a new life yes and i would i would say for me that's even true you know obviously the the biggest transition point for me was when my first wife died but but every loss has that impact. Uh, I don't feel I am who I was before the pandemic loss. Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've, I've changed. I've grown. Some, I've learned something in there <laughs> for sure. You too?
2: Absolutely. I, I think the pandemic has changed the world. It's, it's uh, not just yes. us. Uh, we look or I look at things differently now. Things that we never thought, things that seemed like they were important, just aren't, you know? <laughs> and, oh, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, And I'm, I'm really saying uh, that I, I want to be in or deal with things that are
1: important and, and the rest of it. I don't I don't have to pay attention to anymore. Hmm. And the, and the ability to surrender to that is a is a real dividing line for. Uh, you know, people who've struggled terribly and people who've weathered it a little better. In yes. my, because I obviously work with a lot of people. I'm a practicing therapist and there's a real range and the, the people who are better able to surrender to whatever's happening in the moment have have done a lot better overall. Um, yes. So experience we'd never want to have that we're glad we do, I guess. <laughs> yes yeah that's that's for sure um, I wanna ask you oh, go ahead, no, okay, it's fine, go yeah. ahead, um, I wanna ask you, so uh, one thing that happened, you know, I don't get the chance to um speak with someone who lost a spouse and then married again too often. It's happened on the show, but um. I, I always take advantage of it honestly, <laughs> when it happens and of course then you have an experience I haven't had uh, which is to then have your second husband die um, I my wife is still alive and in the other room um, <laughs> but um, I felt that when I opened up to relationship again um, there were some inherent things I had to go through uh, about being so infinitely clear that people die. hmm You know, that, it, that if you open your heart, uh, it might really hurt, <laughs> you know? That's right. Um, and opening in that way. And I wondered what that was like for you when you fell in love with Ron what was that transition point, um, like for you? Because I know you said you didn't, you didn't plan to do that. Um, I sort of, my first wife had basically told me I had to do that, um, which I was very mad about, but (laughs) it turned out, you know, (laughs) I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah. But, but then I was kind of, it was very good to have that permission, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that was never a part of the, the struggle for me is would she want me to or you know no she did um, but i wondered what it was like for you when not not thinking that you would remarry ever and then falling in love again what did you what did you face there it it was challenging, because I
2: I really didn't think it was going to happen. I I didn't get permission like you did, because Jacques, as brilliant as he was, and an ethicist, and just very, very brilliant person, didn't realize he was dying until about an hour before he died. He always thought... Doesn't
1: give you much time to um, say much, does it? (laughs) No, because he really thought
2: that all the the surgeries, the time in the hospital, the going to dialysis, he thought all of those things were to, to make him better. You go to the doctor to get well. And it just finally dawned on him about an hour before he died. He, he, and I knew that because he said, am I ever going to get better? And I had to be honest with him because we always were honest with each other. And I, I said no. And it was like giving him permission to go. Within an hour, he was gone. Mm-hmm. So I I really didn't think about being with anybody or dating. It just didn't feel right. I thought that's that's a part of my life that's over, and I'm going to move on with ever else is happening. And then I had a friend contact me, or we, we ran into each other, and she said, well, are you dating again? I said, uh, no. No. <laughs>
1: Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah.
2: And she said, well, you've got to go on Match.com. And this is a, a woman who I knew who had had, uh, who, she'd been engaged a couple of times and her fiance had died and she hadn't been married. And I said, so are you on Match.com? <laughs> she said, uh, well, no, that's different. And we're talking about you. And I said, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'm about as interested in going on Match.com as you are. Well, she, she badgered me about it. It was like every time I saw her, she goes, well, have you gone Match.com yet? And I thought, there's a reason. After I heard it a few times, said, there's a reason she's saying this. And so I, I sat down and I wrote a list and I said, okay, this list is going to be an inco- impossible list because nobody is going to be all these things. But if I ever was to even go out with somebody again, he had to have all these qualifications. <laughs> and so I thought, I'll, I'll just look. So I went on Match.com. I put my my introduction in which kind of reflected the the uh things that i had on my list but that wasn't specific and within a couple of hours ron contacted me and i looked at his introduction and went down the list and he met every single one of the things on the list every single one
1: you know i laughed in the middle of that emily because um both my second wife and I had lists, oh. uh, and hers was two pages single-spaced. Wow. Because <laughs> she had never been specific enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. So, <laughs> and and um, I met, I, 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 it was me, I mean, every single thing, except for one, which is makes me coffee in the morning. I didn't drink coffee at the time. But. It was learnable to make mm-hmm. coffee, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and mine was one sentence, which was "send me the perfect partner." Uh-huh. <laughs> but it worked out in both directions. So it, uh, remembering that was making me laugh. <laughs>
2: yeah, it it was it was quite quite an experience, and it it for me it, it turned a couple things turned out. It turned out that this uh, my friend had. Uh, gone to college with Ron at UCLA in the early 70s.
1: The same friend who kept trying Mm -hmm. to push you. And That's she really, had no
2: idea. And so that was, that was really interesting. And, and I ran into her on, on campus one day. We were both uh, teaching there. And she said, Well, did you go on match.com? And I said, Yes, I did. And I said, And I think I found the one. And she goes, You did? <laughs> and I said, Yeah, you want to see his picture? <laughs> and I said, And she said, Yes. Yeah. So I get out his picture and show it to him. And she gets this really strange look on her face. And I thought, Oh no.
1: <laughs> you know, She's seen something yeah, wrong. <laughs> yeah, <I've> seen something. <laughs> she said, He's my minister. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Let's take another <laughs> break, and we'll come back and, with these happy serendipities, you know, in a, in a minute. <laughs> Time for our second break. So, listeners, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com, 2Gs, two, two the Good Grief Host page, or to find Emily Treat, you can go to lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. Back after the break
0: 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. I've been talking with Emily Throat about her book loving and living your way through grief. And, and Emily, I wanted to make sure this last um, period of time on the show, I'm really enjoying talking with you about all these experiences we have in common, but I do also want to talk about um, kind of the, the structure of the book, which uh, each chapter is a specific suggestion of something to try in grief and some ways to try it. Of course, um, a lot of them involve writing because you're a writer and uh, writing can be so helpful for people. So that's good. And also uh, a lot of other things. So, you know, there's something for everyone for sure. And I like the way it's very open-minded about what people might feel drawn to and what they might not, you know? Um, but I wonder if there were things in all of those qualities that were especially helpful for you other than writing, which is an obvious one, because you teach writing, you you know, you are a writer, so that would come easily to hand. But were there other things that seemed to be especially powerful in your own grief?
2: Yes, uh, there there were a few actually. I could I could talk for a while on this subject. Uh, one of them was uh, the first New Year's Eve after Jacques died. It was almost a year. I thought I can't stay like this. I have to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do and and figure out. You know what, my life is supposed to be like now, and and I just wanted some guidance on how to do that. And instead of writing New Year's resolutions, what came to me was to accept invitations. Mm. And I thought, well, that's a really weird thing because uh, (laughs) nobody's nobody's inviting me. But I thought it, it came to me for a reason. I said, okay, I'm going to keep an open mind. And when somebody invites me to do something, I'm going to accept the invitation. And it led me to an incredible journey. All these things came to me. It, it started with the, uh, the newspaper in the community where I lived. We lived in a very big county that was bigger than several states. So the newspaper for the county was, was a, a big deal. And they invited me to be on their editorial board for the year.
1: Hmm. That's uh, a I big never, invite.
2: It was huge. And <laughs> I, I never thought about doing something like that before. And boy, what an experience. I met people. I learned so much. It, it was really a wonderful experience. And I, I, there was just one invitation after another that came to me that were things I had never, all of them were things I had never thought about doing And I gained different things from each thing that I did. And I realized that I really lightened up and was feeling a lot more joy because nobody was looking at me as that widow that needs to, you know, deal with things. They were looking at me as this person who's involved in whatever it was. For instance, my uh, trainer was a a distance bicycle racer, endurance bicycle racing. He would go on the race across America every year. And he invited me to go on the race with him as the kind of um trainer caretaker for the the two riders as Mm -hmm. they went through the race and in the car that that followed as a support person, making Mm -hmm. sure they had food, making sure that they were they got their clothes changed, making sure everything happened. It was an amazing experience. I I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't into things like that, but boy, I I saw the country in such a different light going that that slow across the country. And I was invited to to go with the same friend that told me about Match.com. She invited me to go to South Africa with her. And Mm -hmm. I did. And that was amazing. And then the County Film Commission called me and asked me if I would put together a film festival for them. Well, I never thought about doing things like that before. I wasn't into film. I was into theater. And he thought because of my background in theater that I'd be really good at it. And it was it was it, it was things like that one after another after another. So the, the just so the interesting. process of being open and yeah. saying
1: yes was a miracle. And also there's something underneath that, which is that um, I've, I've noticed I've now interviewed maybe 400 people in the last eight years. uh, listeners go listen to all of them if you'd like (laughs) on my my page but um, something that I think is very common is this sense of something coming to you that then Mm -hmm. leaves you and uh, you know for me what led to this show was a thought I want to take my message to a broader audience but it wasn't something I felt like I thought in my mind Mm-hmm. Kind of came to me and that, that came to you, except invitations. It mm-hmm. wasn't logical necessarily. Not okay. at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you just went with it. And what's, what's to be afraid of? Like, why not go with the things that come to us that seem powerful? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to so much for you. And of course, ultimately to your book. But another another experience like that, and I I'd love to share this part of your book that's about it, um, is this is writing to your friend Lori, and then realizing that what you were sharing with her could become a book, which it now has. Yes. Um, let me let me read that part. Uh, my my husband had a close friend who was about twenty years younger. His name was Chappie, and he called my husband Dad. We spent lots of time together with Chappie and his wife, Lori. A few months after my husband died, Chappie died with no warning. I immediately thought of his wife and wanted to help. Since she lived on the mainland, you were living in Hawaii by now, I couldn't visit or take her a casserole, but I was inspired to write her a letter. The words just flowed from my heart about what she needed to know right then and how she could take care of herself. Knowing that the mail can be very slow from the islands to the mainland, I emailed the letter to Rose, my good friend who lived a couple blocks from Lori, and asked her to hand deliver it so she could have it right away. My dearest Lori, with my words I send my love to wrap you up and comfort you. There's no easy way to go through the experiences you're having now. The most important thing to remember is that this is the worst that you can feel, and because of that every moment every day will be better than the day before. It might not seem like it right now because the better part is so small but it grows as time passes right now take care of you don't think of it as selfish but rather know it is self-care cry when you want be alone when you want be only with you with who you want to be when you want eat what you want and don't judge yourself for anything Don't be surprised by anything. If someone says or does something that makes you upset, step back and let that go. People don't know what to say in this situation and they frequently say strange things or things that just seem wrong. Don't waste your energy trying to figure out why they say something or do something. Just love them, forgive them. They're trying to do something, but they don't know how. Let people do things for you. Let them take care of you. If they keep asking what they can do, just ask them to hold your hand and sit with you or get you a cup of tea. You don't need to take care of them right now. People say some dumb things. Sometimes I feel like if one more person says, I am sorry for your loss, I will just scream. So now when someone says that, I think about what could they say that would be better? I know I will never say that and I know that it is never spoken with malice. I just say thank you, saying thank you is healing. I kept track of everything people did and every flower they sent and wrote personal thank you notes. Something about the process of writing the notes helped me get stronger, helped me to be able to smile again when I did not think that would happen. I also got a journal just for letters to Ron. I write him whatever I need to, whatever I need to. I can miss him. I can crave him. I can be really angry at him. Doesn't matter. What does matter is that I am expressing how I feel at that moment. And everything I feel and that you feel is okay. The more I write about something, less it weighs on me. Keeping things inside just causes stress and all that comes along with that. Expressing myself is like letting go of a deep breath of air. There are lots of things now that I don't have to keep writing about, and that feels really good. I've also established a daily meditation practice. It takes different forms all the time. Sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's sitting outside where it's beautiful. Sometimes it is just being still. This allows me to reboot and refresh. I highly recommend it and your dear daughters, just love them. Listen to them without judgment. They may say some strange things and that's okay. Just love them. If you can, spend some time sitting with them. They may be really angry in addition to being really sad and they have a right to be. No one wants to never be able to be with their father again. Just love him, hold them, let them know you hear them. I'm always here for you. I've had way too much experience with this. That statement, and I would love to use that experience to help you in any way I can. My love, always, Emily. I have to. I have to spend a minute with the dumb things people say. I thought your, uh, your suggestion about that, uh, that was actually for the people that might say dumb things, was was very um, very good. Which is say something about the person. Mhm. Uh because I I feel always in death people get disappeared. Yes. Um that's you true, know, absolutely. And, I mean, still 25 years later, um when someone refers to my first wife in in an appreciative way, a loving way, uh some experience they had with her that is meaningful to them, it feels so good. There, it's never a mistake with me to bring her up. Yes. Um, so that, that resonated for me. But I also, uh, I know that things that feel good to one person don't to another. And so in a way, it's also for those people who are afraid of doing it wrong to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could get it wrong. Uh, we're, we're all different about what's comforting and, and what's not. You know um, as, as long as you're being kind
2: and and people will think they're they're being kind by saying "I'm sorry for your loss," but what what that comes across is, is something dismissive that they feel like they're obligated to say something and so they say that so they can get on to the next thing that they needed to say
1: Yes, and've and I've also noticed over time if someone People still say that to me when they find out my wife yep. died 25 years ago, you know, and I'm like, well, thank you, <laughs> but not quite in that same space about it after 25 yes. years, but um, it matters how a person says it, I've That's noticed. That's right. Um, are they saying it out of an understanding of what loss feels like? Yeah. Because you can tell it in in a person's voice. Yes. Um, so it's more... Uh, I had a guest once, and she, her mother, and her and her baby died within a year, oh. and um, she had a friend who said she got a lot of that. Everybody does, but but one person said, "I've been trying to imagine instead of saying I can't imagine." Mm-hmm. She said, "I I've been trying to imagine what it must be like for you." And she found that comforting. I would have too. But then I mentioned that with another guest. And she, she said that was the last thing she would have wanted to hear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're all different. Take a chance, right? That's right. That's right. And, and, and say something. That's the say big thing. Say something. Deal. Even and, say, I don't know what the heck to say.
2: Yeah, you can say that. Or you can say, you know, I'm here for you. I would be happy to just sit and listen to you or sit and hold your hand and be quiet. But I know that that I care for you and and that I'm here. And that can be so comforting.
1: And also offering something specific. Let me come over and mow your lawn, you know. (laughs) It can be really great. (laughs) Emily, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We've run out of time. Thanks for being with me. Thank you very much for having me. And go to find Emily at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. Next week, I'll have Cheryl Crowder for the third time. This is her third book. We'll be talking about her husband's death, her grief, and her memoir, Odyssey of Ashes. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.